Right, welcome everyone. This is Dr. Clark in the Center for Weight Loss Success. Today on Losing Weight USA, we're going to talk about kind of gluten again. And this is kind of part two from last week's uh, discussion. Um, I'm really kind of focusing more in more on not just the gluten, but more of the, the wheat. Is it really a wheat problem or is it a gluten problem? Or obviously the two are very closely interrelated, but uh, kind of is this, we're kind of this time kind of directing it more towards the wheat side of the whole thing. And is there actually just a problem there from just the grain itself? Okay. All right, welcome to Losing Weight USA. Real-time answers to your weight loss questions. Some of the latest updates of weight loss research, a little bit of expert advice. Gives you direct access not only to me, but you should be receiving the health tips and recipes via the membership portal. And again, I encourage people to get into that membership portal. That's why it's there. We keep updating and have all kinds of educational things in there. Okay, each webinar is going to last about 30 minutes or so. If you have questions, type them into the, t uh, the chat box. We'll get to them at the end. If you think of things once we're all done, just give us a yell here at the Center for Weight Loss Success. The email is success at cfws.com. Phone number 757-873-1880, which you can also text to. All right, so let's dive in here. So we're going to be talking about gluten part two, which is really kind of, we're really going to concentrate more on the wheat side of the whole thing. All right, there we go. Wheat, why are you everywhere? And it does seem like it is in just about everything. Couple, let's start out with a couple little quotes here from a, a couple physician authors. And they're actually, I took a lot of the information off this discussion through a couple of books, which I'll give you the resource at the end of there. Uh, one's Wheat Belly by Dr. William Davis. The other one is Grain Brain by Dr. David Perlmutter. And there's two uh, kind of Quick little quotes by them. The first one by Dr. William Davis is, the world's most popular grain is also the world's most destructive ingredient. Second quote by Dr. David Perlmutter is, gluten is our generation's tobacco, addicting and potentially causing long-term problems. All right, so let's go into some of these things. Why would they actually say those things? So again, we're kind of more concentrating on the wheat side of the whole, th whole thing as opposed to just the gluten, which is a protein found in wheat and in actually a number of different grains. All right, so a little background, a little history of the, the, prolifer the proliferation of wheat kind of parallels the expansion of our waste. Okay? When we talk about things that that affect blood sugar. We talk about this almost every single week. And kind of when we look at this, kind of what actually raises blood sugars the most? Is it white sugar? Would it be that Snickers candy bar that you had? Could it be a banana, some of the fruit which can raise blood sugar? Or would it be whole wheat bread? When you test these things out, it's actually most likely to be the whole wheat bread. Again, what we have to wrap our heads around is that eating healthy doesn't correlate with weight loss. Certainly in the whole grain, there's a lot of healthy things. But from actually a health perspective, especially raising your blood sugar, whole wheat bread is one of the biggest culprits, almost more so than white bread. 
uh, white bread by a little more. But anyway, so wheat in itself, is, again, is the dominant source of gluten. Gluten we spent a lot of time talking about last week. And actually, if you look worldwide, wheat constitutes about 20% of all the calories consumed in the entire world. That's pretty incredible. Again, 20%. Wheat constitute, constitutes about 20% of all the calories that are consumed. And if you think about it, how many aisles in your grocery store are dedicated to wheat or grain products? Certainly the bread aisle, but baking aisle, the snack aisle, the cereal aisle, the pastry aisle. Basically, there are a number of aisles kind of along the entire grocery store that is mainly wheat products. So wheat is in almost everything. And part of the things when we start discussing this, and actually we talk, start talking about low carb and low, you know, low carb diets type of thing, is that we have to let go of a few what I call urban legends, few kind of myths that have been out there forever. And the first one is that we have to let go of that low fat and high carbohydrate diet is good, because that's kind of what's been pushed on us literally for the last forty years or so. And again, we have to let go of that, that low-fat, high-carb is good. Second thing is that we have to kind of let go of is cholesterol is bad. As we've talked about in the cholesterol discussions, that literally every single cell in our body has cholesterol in it. We would die without cholesterol. So it's not that cholesterol itself is bad. That, no, that really, that's a myth. It's that kind of what is your body doing with the cholesterol and could it actually cause some of the problems? Yes, that is true, but it's not that the cholesterol itself is bad. All right, so backing up on some of the history of wheat. Okay, wheat was first cultivated a long, long time ago, literally almost 2,000 years ago, around 330 BC. And it was referred to as, uh, referred now to as einkorn wheat. So this is kind of the first wheat that was first cultivated back in the day, long, long ago, literally a couple thousand years ago. Since then, wheat has changed dramatically. And kind of over the past 50 years, it's changed dramatically. It took incredible leaps and bounds to change dramatically. And part of that is because of the genetic modification, that GMO, genetic modification. Um, and so we find now there's many hybridized, they're crossbred wheat strains, and they're done to kind of make it more resistant to disease and drought, but also to increase yield. So we can grow a lot more, we can feed a lot more people in the world. When, by increasing the yield, we can do it on smaller plots of land, easier to take care of, that kind of easier to harvest, all these things. So it's been hybridized, crossbred, and all of this over the last 50 years. And it has increased yield, literally about 10 times. Yield has increased about 10 times over the previous over the past 50 years. And certainly it has increased tremendously from 2,000 years ago up to 50 years ago, too. A lot of agricultural things have slowly increased, gotten better. But we do have to kind of look at that modern wheat has been so modified that today's wheat strains actually can't even survive out in the wild anymore without us fertilizing, pest control. If they were just left out there to grow on their own, it's like they wouldn't even survive. 
they have to have all this other things go along with it, which uh, we can argue one way or the other. Now, with all these modifications, though, what hasn't been done is to test all these new strains. And are they actually safe for us? It was just kind of assumed to be safe because it was safe to begin with, meaning that, okay, we had healthy wheat, but then all these modifications occurred. Each modification wasn't tested. It just assumed, hey, we did this modification, we get a little better yield, and subsequently then it's safe, right? But it hasn't been actually tested. So they were assumed to be safe. And the real question, is that really true? And again, the, the wheat and the wheat gluten then itself has undergone significant structural change with all these hybridizations. And again, it really hasn't been tested that much to really find, are these things really safe for us? Another question is, is wheat actually addictive? Now, obviously, we think of certain drugs to being addictive. And certain things, you know, drugs, including things like, you know, alcohol, tobacco, but also then kind of what we refer to as illicit drugs, even though now it become more and less and less illicit, as kind of laws change, so to speak. But cocaine, heroin, are all these things, are they actually, they are addictive. And that's been shown. And it's because they can supercharge, literally hijacked your brain and the central nervous system. And so they become addictive that people just, it, once they start having these things, they become addicted, which basically means they want more and more and more. So they get cravings and they want these things. Plus there's withdrawal when they don't have those things, which cause significant, poorly tolerated side effects. Okay. So those are what we refer to as exogenous drugs, right? Okay, but then our body actually makes what we refer to as endogenous, kind of opioid-like products, like endorphins. And those are more kind of feel-good things, okay? So your body makes some of these products similar to what a drug can actually cause, an addictive type of drug. And these, uh, you might you sometimes hear people talking about the during exercise, the runner's high. So these are endorphins that kind of kick in and they're kind of feel-good things, okay? And they kind of kick in when we're in really great moods and things like that. So there are, our body produces some of these things. And I'm not saying that's bad. It's like, no, that actually can be a good thing. But then there's other exogenous things or opioid-like products that are actually found in some of the food we eat. Specifically, Gluten exorphins and gliadorphins, again, goes back to the wheat, but these are kind of feel-good type of things, a very temporary type of thing. They're feel-good little products that make us, hey, I feel better when I have this. And the point there being, or the problem really there being is, can they then actually make you crave another hit? It's kind of some people truly crave chocolate. They really crave carbohydrate. Do they make you actually crave another hit? And these, again, these are things that are being studied. And I think they're very real. Not studied all that well. Just keep, keep, those, keep these things in mind. Kind of hitting a bunch of little topics here. Okay. Now, what about just wheat and obesity? Wheat and weight, we call it that. Um, we know 
that carbohydrate, wheat being carbohydrate, and wheat and carbohydrate, they lead to increased blood sugar swings, kind of up and down, which then whenever we have blood sugar swings up, we get big insulin swings up. And so it increased insulin levels. We know this occurs. And the issue there is, okay, increased insulin, increased blood sugars, increased insulin leads to increased visceral fat deposition, which basically means around our, our internal organs, which is what kind of, gee, it kind of that barrel shape, which we're all talking about the visceral um, obesity, which then causes worsening of many other medical problems. Wheat also, that's just kind of, wheat by itself is a carbohydrate. This is what it does. Any carbohydrate potentially can do that. But wheat also tends to increase inflammatory markers, which also by increasing inflammatory markers, which leads to more visceral fat deposition. So that, again, that has not so much to do with, gee, the carbohydrate amount, but just that wheat also incites inflammatory markers. And we kind of talked about this last week when we talked about the inflammatory changes that occurs with gluten for people who are truly gluten intolerant and they truly have celiac disease in that it causes significant inflammatory changes. But these inflammatory changes may, may not be so um, as dramatic as the true gluten or celiac disease type of things, but just these inflammatory markers tend to increase visceral fat deposition. So it worsens the problem. It's gonna throw a little fuel on the fire. The another thing that wheat all by itself does, reduces the production of a compound called adiponectin. Adiponectin is, uh, is a compound that's, um, that is formed by our cells, but it's heart protective. And it actually can help with weight loss because it helps with fat mobilization. Right? So wheat again reduces the production of that kind of that molecule, which can actually be protective and helps prevent the weight gains. It actually helps in weight loss. So wheat, not just with the blood sugar swings. Now we touched on this part of it last week a bit, kind of the wheat and just intestinal disease. That's what celiac disease is. Celiac disease is a major problem. It's from the gluten. Gluten is found in grains, wheat being the major grain that it's actually found in. So celiac disease is the biggest problem. That's about you know, around 1% of the population may have this. And it truly is that we form an an immunologic problem, you know, we, we form antibodies to the wheat gliadin, okay, and that's the gluten, okay, found in the blood. And so subsequently then um, it causes these inflammatory changes. You can measure these antibodies in your bloodstream. So it could check blood samples and see if those antibodies are there. Okay? And again, it also causes inflammation of the intestinal tract, which is then damaging the lining of the intestinal tract. But even if it's not that full-blown celiac disease process, it also tends to kind of worsen irritable bowel type syndrome, reflux problems. So you get, tend to get more bloating, cramping, gas, constipation, diarrhea, those alternating constipation, diarrhea type of thing. And these are very significant problems if you're the individual this occurs to and actually is incredibly common. So, okay, then what about just kind of wheat and diabetes? Okay, 
diabetes obviously is a worsening problem throughout society. Um, certainly is a very common problem as weight goes up. Yeah, the two are closely related. Diabetes, weight goes up, weight goes up, worsening diabetes. They're both two kind of snowball together. There. So wheat and kind of diabetes, this was specifically is more diabetes type 2 we're talking about, where that true insulin resistance, which again, we mention almost every week. So again, wheat increases blood sugars. We talked about that, just one of the easiest things to make blood sugars go up and down. So we can increase blood sugars almost easier than just about everything else. Years and years ago, thousands of years ago, not just 10, 15 years ago, thousands thousands of years ago, diabetes mellitus actually was basically unseen. We're talking about diabetes type 2. Diabetes type 1 was also basically unseen it's because people died in that diabetes type one, they don't make any insulin. If you don't make any insulin, you actually can't survive. It's a wasting disease and subsequently people die from it. Okay, so those people weren't around. Okay. Diabetes type two was basically where your insulin resistant. Well, diabetes type two is pretty much unseen in hunter-gatherer societies until we started to have the introduction of cultivating wheat and grain. And as we kind of produced more and more of the wheat and the grain and more grains were used as truly providing all the calories that people needed in the world. Subsequently, now we're seeing diabetes type 2. Okay. Wheat consumption then has slowly, slowly increased throughout the generations, okay, literally thousands of years. And so recently, okay, it's been a good on average about over 130 pounds a year. And that's wheat consumption, not just kind of sugar consumption, carbohydrate consumption. Just like, no, wheat consumption, on average, about 133 pounds a year. All right, well, let's look at something else, something we don't normally consider. Kind of, what about wheat and aging? Well, obviously, we all get older, right? Yeah, we all get older. But really, it's not the aging that's the problem. Not that just, hey, we clicked off another year. It's the other things that occur with this. And when we talk about what are the problems with aging, it really is three things. I probably said this before, but I'll digress say it again. Three things. Losing our eyesight, losing our memory, and losing our mobility. That's the problem with aging right there. Okay? So we'd like to age as slowly as possible, right? Okay, obviously we still click off the days and the years. We still do. Okay, but, okay, what can we do with this? So wheat, carbohydrate, fructose, which fructose is a fruit sugar too, all of these things increase advanced glycation end products, which are often referred to as age, A-G-E, okay? Advanced glycation end products. And what that really means, glycation means there's a sugar that's attached to something that it shouldn't be attached to. And by attaching a sugar to something that it shouldn't be attached to, that something, that molecule, typically doesn't act the way it should. Okay? You lose a lot of elasticity. You get thickening of the tissues. The tissue itself doesn't do what it needs to do as effectively and efficiently as it should. Those molecules don't work as well when they got to have normal sugar stuck on them. And those abnormal sugars get more likely to get stuck on something, the higher your blood sugar is. 
So that's one of the biggest reasons why, you know, why is it so important to control blood sugars? It's because, well, we don't want this sugar tends to stick to a lot of things, causes the sugar itself causes all kinds of problems, especially if it sticks to things that really don't want it to. Now, when diabetics who tend to run higher blood sugars, it may stick to some of the proteins that cause then thickening of the vessel walls, which is what arteriosclerosis is. And it tends to be the smallest vessels. So where do we see problems? We see problems in the kidneys, all those little small vessels in the kidneys, the extremities, your toes and fingers and that kind of thing, diabetics tend to have that, in the nerves, okay, neuropathy, very common there, and in the brain, which is a little harder to measure, okay? But basically it stiffens the arteries and it ends to increase cataracts too, so small vessels in our eyes, thanks to the increased cataracts and slows the neuronal connections. So again, we're starting to talk about, okay, memory, vision, and mobility right there. And the worst part of aging right there. So if we could prevent, we could not make so many of these advanced glycation end products. We could keep those to an absolute minimum. That's basically somewhat anti-aging. And that's what we like to do. We like to slow down aging. Obviously, we can't turn it off, okay, but still, we like to slow down aging. So if we can prevent the formation of these advanced glycation end products, that subsequently then, hey, potentially we can slow down aging there. And the biggest, one of the biggest culprits, again, is wheat. All right, heart disease. Heart disease, obviously, it's a big killer out there. A lot of big problem for you know been we've known heart disease is a big problem for years and years and years and years and years. Okay. Now we just look at cholesterol. We talked about cholesterol recently. I can't remember exactly when, um, but just not too far back in the future, in the in the past rather. Okay. So wheat and heart disease then, because it affects the different cholesterol molecules. Now, as we mentioned earlier, that cholesterol itself isn't bad. We die without cholesterol. Literally every single cell in our body needs it. It's kind of, okay, which are there certain cholesterols that potentially are more problematic? And it's kind of, what is your body actually doing with the cholesterol? All right. So as to simplify things, we often talk about LDL cholesterol as being the bad cholesterol. LDLs is low-density lipoproteins, LDLs. But it's really only the small LDLs that are actually bad. There's different size LDLs. Okay? And it's the really small ones that are actually the bad ones. So just to say LDLs are bad is a way oversimplification because there are different size of these LDLs. And it's only the smallest ones that are actually bad. And unless those are broken out and those measured, which typically they're not in cholesterol screening. Okay? Just keep that in mind. Okay. But we often think that LDL again is kind of the bad cholesterol. So diet can certainly influence this. The biggest thing that influences kind of these LDLs is actually our carbohydrate intake and wheat being a big one again. And carbohydrates, wheat will increase the very VLDLs, the very low density lipoproteins, as well as triglycerides. And triglycerides are kind of fatty acids that are connected to a glycerol molecule and subsequently they tend to cause problems. Okay, and so if there's the formation of these actually goes up and subsequently then increases those smell, those small LDLs, that can be problematic. 
All right. Now, insulin itself, because again, we make blood sugars go up. Blood sugar makes insulin go up. That's kind of a, just human physiology right there. So insulin then turns on lipogenesis in the liver. Lipo is fat. Genesis is we're going to make this. So making fat. Okay. So you're making fat, fat molecules in the liver. And then your body has to do something with it. And this typically occurs because, hey, our blood sugars are running a little high, but we don't actually need the sugar right then. So we got to store the, the energy, right? We need to store the energy. And your body can't really store much energy as sugar. That's converted to fat. So lipogenesis works producing, we are making, we are generating fat. Liver does this really, really well. And can make fatty liver, but it also makes problems for the rest of your body too. So it tends to increase in the production of these small LDS, as well as the triglycerides, both of the molecules that tend to cause more problems, especially risk of heart disease. All right. What about the skin? And we talked about a bunch of different organs there. What about the skin? Again, I mentioned these advanced glycation end products, the age. Okay, these are the, the sugar molecules that get attached to a, to abnormal, uh, to normal molecules that get a sugar molecule attached to it, which then makes them not work so well. And what tends to happen, and especially in the skin, is that we lose our elasticity. We lose our elasticity. That's where wrinkles come from. Okay, we'd all like to avoid that as we get older. It also tends to cause a worsening inflammatory problems with acne being a big one. And so foods that increase blood sugars as well as increase insulin will increase acne. Now, a very good example of that is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Polycystic ovarian syndrome is very common, but typically they have high People talk about, gee, there's some higher testosterone levels, which can affect acne as well. But actually, it's higher insulin levels that they typically have. And that's what tends to affect this even more. Right? And part of that is kind of the higher insulin level, they're insulin resistant, and subsequently then they tend to be more prone to acne as well as weight gain. Wheat also tends to all by itself cause what's called dramatic dermatitis herpetiformis, which is basically an inflammatory condition of the skin. Also increases mouth ulcers, Acanthosis nigricans is that dark shading increases. So if you notice that, hey, in the creases of my skin, well, very common places around the, the base of the neck, in the crease there, or it can be in the groin area, it can be under the breast fold there. Any place there's a fold in the skin, typically if you get darkening of the tissue, that's acanthosis nigricans. That's the big name of what that means. And subsequently, what, what that typically is, it's insulin resistance. But it also tends to get this darkening of the skin, and it's these age type of things. Psoriasis, which is a common skin condition. Pyoderma gangrenosum, uh, which sometimes worsens with uh, hydradenitis type of thing. And then just eventually hair loss. Gee, it's all caused by these some of these problems related to glycation end products. That's advanced glycation end products there. All right, what about the brain? <laughs> yeah, obviously we like to prevent brain problems. Again, what's the worst part? One of the worst parts of aging is both related to the brain is vision and memory. Try to keep those. All right, so wheat in the brain. And this will start a little quote off by a, a very famous smart person, okay, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison said the chief function of the body is to carry the brain around. 
there's a lot of truth to that statement. Another thing I'm going to read a kind of a little longer kind of a quote, and this was David Perlmutter, who again wrote the book Brain, no, Brain, Drain, Brain, Drain, which I'll get to that, keep, I'll get to that at the end, but it's one of the sources here. David Perlmutter said, the origin of brain diseases is in many cases predominantly dietary. Although several factors play into the genesis and progression of brain disorders, to a large extent, numerous neurological afflictions often reflect the mistake of consuming too many carbohydrates and too few healthy fats. Now, if you just look at kind of what our ancestors died, you know, thousands of years ago, hunter-gatherers, what is their diet versus kind of the USDA-recommended diet up to about, you know, just a few years ago? Ancestors diet, about 5% of it was carbohydrate because there just wasn't a whole lot of carbohydrate. They eat some plants, but mainly it's a protein and fat, 20% protein, 75% fat. Now, nowadays, kind of the USDA diet, which has been really over this last 40, 50 years, it's pretty much 55 to 60% carbohydrate, 20% protein, and about 20% fat. Big difference there. And then subsequently, then, is this actually then causing problems, especially with the brain itself? So almost all degenerative conditions are associated with inflammation. And we know that from you know, a lot of disease processes, associated heart disease, mainly inflammation. Okay? And brain problems are mainly inflammation, chronic inflammation. So almost all degenerative conditions are associated with inflammation. And the biggest instigators of inflammation is often carbohydrate, and often gluten, wheat product. Both of these increase the production of cytokines. Cytokines are inflammatory molecules. And when someone has a big rip-roaring inflammatory process, including infections, the cytokine, that goes way up. And you sometimes hear, you know, this year or so, talking about COVID and problems, COVID infections, a lot of it is the inflammatory problems that occur with the actual underlying infection. And it's these inflammatory problems that make the disease process even worse. The assault on the brain is a little harder to recognize until it's too late, until all of the big problems already occurred. So the real question then, the real question really is, what if we're all, everyone, are all sensitive to gluten from the perspective of the, of the brain? Okay. And it's not just what, you know, do you get gut symptoms or skin symptoms, which we look at, things like that. But the brain, it's rather typically, once we get symptoms, it's probably too late. And what if we're all sensitive to gluten from the perspective of the brain? That's an important question. I don't know the answer to that question, but it is an important question. There. All right. As we kind of mentioned, getting the brain here, it kind of the exorphins, the temporary um, they tend to be temporary, but they tend to be infla inflammation, inflammatory. And inflammation can affect everything, including the brain. It can affect kind of uh, balance problems, peripheral neuropathy, which is a common problem with diabetics, okay, just that the nerves don't work as well anymore. Worsening migraines, brain fog, mood swings. Are these things all related? And the answer is, uh, they, they may be. Again, we don't know all the answers about this, but it's something seriously to consider. So just to kind of in summary, you know, wheat, it, it's everywhere. It's in many, 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 many things. 
and it's probably not helping you, even if you're not physically getting a GI problem from it. All right, a few tips then, kind of, we talked about last time, kind of going gluten-free, and it's kind of a reiteration of last week's that. Going gluten-free doesn't necessarily mean eating gluten-free. What I mean by that is there are a lot of labels out there that says gluten-free, but they still can be really high carbohydrate, and subsequently, which can still cause the big blood sugar swings, which may still be at the root of the real problem there. Gluten itself being a problem, but blood sugar is also being a problem. And with that, then, and remember the core of the eating plan. I say this over and over again. The core of the eating plan, again, just three things. Hydration, water's the best thing to drink. Good protein sources, which from food, the best ones are meat, seafood, cheese, and egg. And then filling in with vegetable salad stuff. And think about it. Vegetable salad stuff is truly gluten-free. The best food, the best nutrition comes from basically real food, whole food, you know, eating clean, eating green, kind of the best nutrition comes from food that has no labels on it. Okay. And again, I say this over and over, there is no such thing as carbohydrate deficiency or wheat deficiency either. There's no such thing. Someone says, oh, you have to have this much carbohydrate. Well, that's not really true. Now, it doesn't, you shouldn't eat any carbohydrate because anything that's a plant is a carbohydrate. And I encourage people, eat plenty of vegetable salad stuff. That really should be the majority of what we eat. Tremendous nutrition, fairly low calorie, not much absorbable carbohydrate there. All right, I mentioned these kind of resources there. And then again, the, the first one, uh, good. both of these are good books. Now they're, they're probably getting to be a good seven to 10 years old. That doesn't mean that, that, that the stuff isn't still pertinent. The first book is Wheat Belly by Dr. William Davis. And the second book was Grain Brain not drain, grain with a G, or brain with a B, grain brain by Dr. David Perlmutter. All right, questions. I don't see anything particular out there. I ran over a few minutes there. But anyway, if you have questions, you know where to find us here at the office. Um, give us a yell either by the email, which is success at cfws.com, or you can even text to the phone number, which is 757-873-1880. All right. Remember to log into the membership site. I harp on this over and over again. We keep adding more and more things in there. Um, you should be receiving the health tips and weekly recipes. Tune in each Tuesday, 1215, for the next webinar. Watch your email for the invite link. And remember, it's your life. Make it a healthy one. Have a good day, everyone.